Service issued an extreme heat warning and recommended that you stay indoors today. Apparently, none of us follow the National Weather Service, or maybe we just don't follow uh, governmental advice. Uh, with that, uh, welcome. Thank you for joining us uh, this morning. If you're here for the first time, we're in the middle of a series on, uh, on church culture and uh, three values that we really want to bring warm, hospitable, and inviting. It was about inviting people into the story of God. You see, we just sang a song that says, You Write My Story. And last week, we were reminded that God calls us to invite people into that story more than selling them, uh, actually not selling them political ideology or religious philosophy, but we ask people to check out Jesus, to allow God to enter into their lives that they might enter into the story of God. And so we talked about what it looks like to invite people to enter into the story of God, the story that God is writing for them. And this morning, we're going to build on that. But this message this morning really begins and ends with one question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? You see, there are places in this country where Jesus is a nice addition to an ethical and productive life. There are places in this country where you're told that Jesus is a good example for you to emulate and follow. But Jesus is just one of many great examples you can follow and learn from. Oprah Winfrey says this. Dr. Phil says this. Dr. Laura says this. They say that Jesus is someone you should follow. He is a great example. We believe that Jesus is an example, though, don't we? There are also places in this country where Jesus studied as a great example and the one who should lead us in our spiritual lives. He should shape our spiritual lives in the way we think about transcendence. But it doesn't really change the way we think about politics, economics. It doesn't change the way we think about the world. It doesn't change the way we think about secular endeavors like education and working out and careers. Jesus, though, is a great example. He's an important part of our lives, isn't he? Well, yes, he is. But we actually believe that Jesus is so much more. We believe that Jesus is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. We believe that he is the Lord of lords. He is the hope of nations. He is the prince of peace. He is the one through whom we live and move and have our being. He is the one who defines the totality of our lives. He is the one who, through whom everything was made, that everything is now being sustained, and through whom everything will be restored and redeemed. We believe that Jesus alone is our peace, our hope, our strength, our desire, our satisfaction, our redemption, our only hope. We believe that Jesus answers our deepest questions, meets our deepest needs, and satisfies our deepest longings. We believe some things about Jesus, don't we, church? I'm not saying that Christianity is better than other religions. I'm not saying that Christianity is more credible than other religions. I'm not saying that Christianity can make you a better person. Understand what I'm saying. We as a church believe that Jesus is our only hope. He is our peace. He is our desire. He is our strength. He is the one who is the hope of nations, the Prince of Peace, 
the Lord of Lords. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He is the one through whom we live and move and have our being. He is the totality of our lives. So this morning, if Jesus isn't the totality of your life, he isn't your hope, he isn't your desire, he isn't the longing of your heart, just pause and ask if he should be. Look at your life. What are the things you worry about? What are the things you put your hope in? What are the things that set you at ease? Where do you spend your time? And where are your goals set? What do they tell you about Jesus? Let's pray. Father, this morning as we talk about discipleship, may the question of who Jesus is tug on our hearts, lean on our spirits, and guide our minds. Forgive us, Father, for the ways we have replaced Jesus with people, things, ideologies, political parties, political commentators. Forgive us for the ways in which we have encouraged others to pursue counterfeit gods. Move us, Father, from hurried, cold, distracted indifference. Move us from cynicism that would make us callous. Move us from despair that would blind us from hope. Holy Spirit, take our hard hearts, make them beat with flesh again. Father, we make this humble plea. Help us this morning to see Jesus, not the cosmic guru, not the greatest example, but all in all, our only hope, our only joy, our only peace, our only strength, the one in whom we live and move and have our being, the one who is in the beginning and will be there at the end, the first and the last, the one who is the totality of our lives. God, help us to see this more clearly. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to leave that question with you. And if Jesus is not the totality of your lives, I encourage you to ignore everything else I say and just ponder that question, and I will not be offended. I'm going to allow that to hang over the sermon, and, if I, and I'm going to pick it up at the end. And if I do it right, it'll be the bow that ties everything together. This morning's topic is discipleship. We want to be a church that is dedicated to a dedicated discipleship. So I have four points. First of all, God calls each and every one of us to be a disciple who makes disciples. God calls each and every one of us 
to be a disciple who makes disciples. Number two, discipleship happens whether you want it to or not. Discipleship happens whether you want it to or not. Number three, dedicated discipleship does not happen without effort. Number three, dedicated discipleship does not happen without effort. And number four, God calls us to be dedicated to a dedicated discipleship. Dedicated to a dedicated discipleship. So point number one, God calls each and every one of us to be a disciple who makes disciples. Jesus' last words recorded in Scripture before he leaves are recorded for us in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the world, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus calls those who had close contact with him, who who were close to him, who observed what he did, who imitated him and practiced what he did. He told his disciples to make other disciples. But we know it's not just for those 11 who survived. It was for those who were with them also, because in Luke 24, it says the 11 and those who were with them. You see, this is the thing that characterized the early church. In fact, Jesus in Matthew, Mark, and Luke taught, if you want to be my disciples. He taught in every gospel what it meant to be a disciple because Jesus cared about people who would follow him. You see, a disciple is a follower. A disciple is a follower. You see, the Greek word means, it, it literally means a learner, but it carried the image of someone who learned by sticking to someone else. You see, Vine's uh, new, dictionary of New Testament words will tell you that it was an adherent. You stuck to something. You see, the way somebody became a disciple in the time of Christ was you, you put yourself under the tutelage of someone. You had a master teacher you put yourself under. That's why Vine specifically says it's not just a learner, not just a student, not just a pupil. A disciple was someone who put themselves under the tutelage of someone else so that they can learn what they learn, do what they do, and think like they think. So if you want to be a good carpenter, you took on a master carpenter and said, hey, will you disciple me? I'm going to learn how to look at a piece of wood and figure out if that's a good piece of wood or not. I'm going to learn how to take the leather and smooth it out after I've cut it. I'm going to learn how to use uh, the saw and everything else. You're just going to be there and watch. And the goal was after spending years with that master tutor, you would become like them. Think like they think. Do what they think succeed and do quality the way they do. And so Jesus said that he wanted us to be disciples who make disciples. It may surprise you that the term disciple is used 15 times more than the term Christian in Scripture. And in fact, the only people called Christian were disciples. See, Acts 11.26 tells us the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. You see, the Bible doesn't call anyone a Christian who wasn't a disciple. We're called to be followers of God. Jesus says that those who spent time with him, close contact, those who observed him, those who imitated him, and those who practiced what he practiced should make 
and help people become people who observe him, who have close contact with him, who imitate him and practice what he did. And that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's why he says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the things you heard from me before many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will teach others. You see, there was a sense that God, Jesus calls us to be the kinds of followers of him who have spent quality, close contact with Jesus, who have observed him, who have imitated him and practiced what he did to then make people who have close contact with Jesus observe him, imitate him, and practice what he did. If Jesus is the Lord of Lords, if he is the hope of nations, if he is the Prince of Peace, if he is the first and the last, if he is your only hope, your only joy, your only strength, then it makes sense that as you become a better follower of Jesus, you would want others to be followers of Jesus. Just think about that. When we talk about Jesus and what he did, you see, Paul tells us that Jesus is the new Adam. Adam was the first man. Jesus comes back as the new man. He invites us into our new humanity. He redefines the totality of our human experience. He allows us to step into a new reality of what it means to be human, what the human vocation is. He allows us to be a part of his mission on earth. When we become followers of Jesus, we enter into a new humanity. We no longer allow the world to define humanity. We no longer allow the rat race of the world to define the human vocation. We enter and we look at Jesus who has now given us the new humanity, a new human vocation, and a new mission, and we jump into it. And if we really believe that Jesus does that, we cannot help but not only follow it, but desire that for others. Who is Jesus to you? So, God calls us each to be a disciple who makes disciples. But, he also, but we also have to realize that discipleship happens whether we want it to or not. You see, discipleship is the process of following observing, emulating, imitating, and practicing, and eventually you become. And discipleship, that process happens whether you want it to or not. I was reminded of that this week. Lisa and I went to breakfast. Lisa had some granola. Jeremy was eating the acai, and then as soon as he got a bite of granola, he spit it out. And if you have a two-year-old, you know what I'm talking about. It wasn't just like a blah, it was a pfft. He spit that out. And so Lisa tried to get him to taste it again, not going to have it. She tried to give him just the acai, which is basically I glorified ice cream, right? Still wouldn't touch it. He would not want anything to do with that granola. Less than three hours later, I'm at home eating a bowl of granola. Guess what he does? He climbs into his high chair and goes, cereal. I said, okay. I pour him a bowl of his favorite cereal, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. He won't eat it. Guess what cereal he wants? He wants my granola. I did not consciously sit down to teach him, I want you to eat a healthier option because it's better for your health with more nutrients, less sugar. He just saw what I was doing and he wanted to do what I did. Another example, you know, um, before, we started trying to, before we started potty training Jeremy, one night uh, we took off his diaper because we were getting ready for bath time. And he walks over to a box, he's 
leans out his pelvis and he pees. And I'm like, whoa, why did he pee into a box? I've never told him to do that. I've never showed him doing that. But what did he do? He seen me pee into the toilet. And so then he just tried to emulate what I did. Any of you who have kids or have younger siblings know what this is like. They do things you don't necessarily want them to do because they've seen you do it. And sometimes it could be quite embarrassing, right? The discipleship happens. You get shaped by the things you see and the things you surround yourself with. The things you follow on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok shape who you become. This may surprise you, but Lisa and I have probably $1,000 worth of children's items that we would never have thought to buy for ourselves, except for the fact that they showed up on our Instagram feed. And then all of a sudden, something that we had never considered, all of a sudden showed up in our house. It literally changed our financial practice, it changed the activities we did with our son, and it changed how we interacted with our son, because we saw something on Instagram. I'm, I'm actually embarrassed to admit, but early on in our marriage, one time I really hurt Lisa's feelings because I made a joke about female genitalia. It was a joke that my dad would have beat me for as a kid. I don't know if I can say that out loud, but that, that's how I was raised. Uh, I would have been spanked for this joke. My parents would have been ashamed of me if I had made it publicly. And I was raised to do better. But I made this joke to Lisa about female genitalia, and I thought I was being witty and cool because I had had a steady stream of, a, of one of my favorite sitcoms. And because I'd seen that joke played out, and it was cool and suave, I thought it would be cool. And so in the middle of one of our vacations, I hurt Lisa's feelings because I was being completely stupid. Because I was shaped by what I had been consuming and following. I had been discipled by what I was watching. And all of us have to admit that we are easily shaped by people in our lives, by the things we consume, by the things we choose to follow. Remember, a disciple is a follower. So in some sense, what you follow on social media becomes something you are a disciple of. And before you know it, it starts to change what you think and how you, what you do. If you are around people who are fit and exercise a lot, you tend to be more fit. If you're around people who drink a lot of Coke, you tend to drink Coke and not Pepsi. If you're around a bunch of people who think uh, Chick-fil-A is better than In-N-Out, before you know it, you start thinking Chick-fil-A is better than In-N-Out. If you're around people who, who, who think the uh, Popeye's chicken sandwich is better than Chick-fil-A and they keep going to Popeye's, you start to think that the Popeye's chicken sandwich is better than the Chick-fil-A. Those of you who are from Texas understand this a lot better than the rest of you. Uh, if you are around people who are anxious about COVID, you will be more anxious about COVID, right? This is just the reality, and I think if we're all honest, we understand that the people who we spend time with, the things we follow and consume, shape the way we think, the way we act, the things we eat, the way we dress. Honestly, if it didn't work, there would not be something called influencers who get paid so much money just to wear something that they could buy for $100, or in some cases, $1,000. It shapes what you do. It shapes your uh, actions. And that's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.33 says that bad company corrupts good character. The people you are around, 
the things you follow, the things you choose to consume will shape you and affect what you become. But not only that, you will shape people into what they become. If you are a lukewarm Christian who thinks church is only about going on Sunday morning, you will affect other people to be more like you. If you're the kind of woman or man who makes jokes about the sanctity of marriage, you will help other people to think that marriage is not sacred. If you, through your actions, say that an unborn baby is not a human being, then other people will think that is not a human being. If you say that how you spend your money doesn't matter, then other people around you will say how you spend your money doesn't matter. See, you don't have to consciously decide to propagate any of these things. But if they are your habits, your practices, those who see you, observe you, those who spend close contact with you cannot help but pick up on what you do, and it will shape them and affect them. So what we find is that God calls each and every one of us to be a disciple who makes disciples. We also see that discipleship happens whether we want it to or not. But point number three was a dedicated discipleship requires effort. You don't become fit without some dedication. You don't understand philosophy and ethics without some effort. You don't become a great chef without effort. You don't become a master painter or home designer without effort. You see, you can learn some workout tips. You can get better at baking. You can figure out how to like rearrange the room a little better, but you don't become a master designer, a famous uh, first-class chef. You don't become a leading thinker or you don't become someone who is like a model of fitness without effort. It requires dedication and focus and sacrifice, intentionality. This is why in Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, If you would be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Jesus says to be his disciple, you can't just walk around in life and be like, whatever happens, happens. What he says is you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. When I, that, Jesus is calling me to be his follower. So see, this is what doesn't make sense. To be a disciple of Jesus is to be a follower of Jesus. But then he said, deny your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. If a disciple is someone who follows, then isn't that kind of repetitive, being a disciple, following me? Well, the reason is because you have to deny yourself and take up your cross to follow him. Because if you don't, you end up following other things. So if we want to be the kind of disciples that Jesus calls us to, we have to be dedicated to following him. Think about the things that you look at, the people you talk to, the activities you participate in. Do they reflect a life that is following Jesus? Do they reflect a life that has died to self and taken up a cross? to follow Jesus? Or do they reflect a life where Jesus is the add-on to an ethical life, that you live well and Jesus is just your guru? In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul says this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, 
but only one gets the prize, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Paul uses the analogy of a person training. And that the person training doesn't just go haphazardly into what they do. If you know anybody who's a successful athlete, there's like a diet they follow. There are supplements they use. They have a trainer who helps them with stretching. There's a trainer who helps them with working out. And then there's the person who actually helps them with their game. And depending on what the game is that they're doing, you may have three different people who point out different things about how you do the game. You know, Alex Knight is, a, is an NCAA athlete. We hope he will be a future Olympian so that all of us have an excuse to travel overseas to, uh, to, to watch him in the Olympic Games. He doesn't just have one person who helps him be a world-class volleyball player. He has a trainer who helps him stretch. He has people who check on his, uh, his weight and his strength. He has a coach who will focus on his footwork. He has a coach who will focus on his arm mechanics. He has a coach who will help him uh, interact with the different team members and know how things go. And there's a coach who watches him overall. He doesn't become a world-class athlete world-class athlete by himself. He comes, becomes a world-class athlete because he's been intentional, because he's been sacrificial, because he's been committed and dedicated, and he has people who pour into his life so that he can become a world-class athlete. And in the same way, the Apostle Paul reminds us that just like that athletic training and that person who becomes a world-class athlete, we do not become world-class followers of Jesus by accident. It requires intentionality. It requires sacrifice. It requires dedication and requires the help of others. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, this is what the Apostle Paul says as well. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, Malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Notice what Paul says. You used to live a particular way, and now you have a new life. But he says here, you used to walk in these ways in which you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all, as all such things, such as anger, rage, malice. You see, Paul wants these, these Christians to grow into becoming like Jesus. And he looks at and he's like, hey, you've, you've changed. You've made some sacrifices. You've made some commitments. But there's other things you need to get rid of in your life. That's the dedication. That's the intentionality. That's the purpose. Some of us will not become followers of Jesus because we refuse to let go of the idols in our lives. Some of us will refuse to let go of resentment. Some of us will, re will refuse to let go of the way we talk. Right? Does God really care? Oh, those Christians and their purity culture trying to police my language. Paul says that these things, these choices that we make, become the hindrances to us becoming formed into the nature of God. So when you think about discipleship, yes, God calls each and every one of us to be a disciple who makes disciples. 
Secondly, discipleship happens whether you want it to or not. But number three, a dedicated discipleship does not happen without effort. You have to make the choice to put yourself into somebody God can use. And you can't do it by holding on to the sins he's asked you to let go of. And so maybe this morning, for you, the reason why Jesus isn't the totality of your life is there's some things you've chosen to hold on to. And at this moment, you just need to ignore everything else I say, and you need to bring those before God. But for the rest of us, we need to remember, number four, that God calls us to be dedicated to a dedicated discipleship. As we said, this dedicated discipleship is intentional, it's sacrificial, it requires commitment, and requires dedication. You will not be like Jesus. You will not think like Jesus. You will not respond like Jesus. You will not give like Jesus. You will not serve like Jesus. You will not think and feel like Jesus without intentionality, without sacrifice, without commitment, without dedication, without the work of the Spirit, which is not of your own doing. And you won't do it by yourself. Notice that each of these examples that come in Scripture require the help of other people in our lives. When Jesus says to his disciples to be the kind of person who spends time with me, who follows me, who imitates me, who practices what I practice, and then help other people become that way, he implies that the process of discipleship will involve what? Other people. You cannot do it by yourself, and you can't do it just by reading the Word. Most of the time. It's not impossible. There's like two examples in Scripture. But the rest all involve other people. And in fact, one of the examples actually involves a person. So it just doesn't happen by yourself. This is what Paul says in Galatians 4.19. I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul says that he's interacting with the Christians in Galatia as the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. He is personally investing in them intentionally, sacrificially, consistently, persistently, with dedication, so that Christ would be formed in their lives. Who are you investing in? Who in this church are you investing in intentionally, sacrificially, purposefully, so that God would be formed in their lives? Paul says that he's in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in them. He says that he's laboring intentionally and sacrificially so that Christ would be formed in their lives. See, he didn't just expect the Holy Spirit to work in their lives, but he actually sacrifices to continue that cause. He says this in Colossians 1.27, to them, God has, made cho has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Discipleship is the process whereby we invest in each other, sacrificially, intentionally, dedicatedly, so that Christ would be formed in us, so that Christ in us, the hope of glory would be revealed. When we help disciple each other, we invest in each other intentionally, sacrificially, and purposefully so that Christ would be formed in us and the glory of God would fill our lives. Who are you 
investing in in this church and in your life. Sacrificially, intentionally, and purposefully so that God would be formed in their lives. You see, this is about us, church. This is about us creating a culture of discipleship. This is about us investing in each other. See, part of this dedicated to a dedicated discipleship means that I have to ask to be led and help be taught. I need to be willing to learn as much as I'm willing to teach. I need to be willing to imitate as much as I model. I need to be willing to learn as much as I want to teach. Imitate, model, watch, show, learn, teach. The process of discipleship is the process whereby we invest in each other for the sake of seeing God formed in each other's lives. Is anyone here a perfect representation of Christ? If you're not, then that means there's an aspect of your life whereby you can be more fully God. You can step into more fully the new humanity of Christ. You can more fully be the person God called you to be to, to help the whole world see his glory. But there's other people in this church, believe it or not, that the Bible says have already been equipped to help you in that journey. You know how I know that? Because in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that each of us has a gift that has been given by God. Spiritually, it's not your own. God has worked in each and every one of you so that you have a gift for the common good. You see, some of you know what it's like to raise a prodigal son and pray for them for 40 years before they come back to faith. I don't know what that's like, but there's someone else in this church who needs that experience, that, what it looks like to have that kind of enduring faith. Some of you have been through a bitter divorce, and, and you realize that the promise of freedom that the world likes to tell us that comes from divorce isn't all it's cracked up to be. And there's other people in this church who are contemplating divorce, and they need to hear your words. Some of you have seen me not be very kind to my wife and son, and guess what I need you to do? I need you to invest in my life sacrificially and intentionally and love me enough to say, hey, either you say, hey, my husband talked to me once that way and it really hurt my feelings and show me the error of my ways. Or maybe you can be the husband who says, I was stupid like you and I slept on the sofa for a month, whatever it is. My point is, church, part of being dedicated to a dedicated discipleship is we're willing to put it on the line with each other in a deep and significant way. It's intentional, it's sacrificial, and it's dedicated. It's dedicated to each other for the sake of seeing God, Christ formed in our lives. But that means some of us have to have, be willing to ask for help. Others of us have to care enough to offer help even when it's not asked for. Sometimes it might just be a few meetings, and sometimes it may be walking a journey for years. Second Corinthians chapter five. We'll end with this. Second Corinthians chapter five, starting verse seventeen. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. 
He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You have become the righteousness of God. And God has entrusted you as his ambassadors to the world. You see, the reason why I want to be a disciple of Jesus is because God has called me to be his ambassador. I am supposed to represent him in the world. When the world sees brokenness and they look at me, they should see how God enters into the brokenness of the world. When, when people see sin and they look at me, they should see how the grace of God comes to sinful people. You see, God has entrusted us with this ministry of reconciliation and made us his ambassadors. Because we are each his ambassadors, that's why we have to be dedicated to a dedicated discipleship. If God in Jesus is not the first and the last, if he's not the beginning and the end, if he's not the hope of nations, the Prince of Peace and the Lord of Lords, if he's not your only peace, joy, strength, and hope, if he's not the one that you live and move and have your being, if he's not the one who defines the totality of your life, then you don't need to be his disciple. And you don't need other people to enter into that journey. But if Jesus is all of those things, church, then we follow him with everything we have. And we not only observe him, we imitate him, we practice what he does, and we help each other sacrificially, intentionally, committedly, and dedicatedly become those who manifest the presence of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning... We've thought about who Jesus really is to us. And my fear, church, Father, is that so many of us in church have allowed Jesus to be our guru, that he's here on Sunday morning with us in a community group, but at school, at the gym, at the salon, at work, we live a different life. And although we talk about Jesus being everything, we put our hopes and our worries, our money, and our time elsewhere. And some of us, Father, we don't follow Jesus because we want to hold on to our idols or our rage or our sexuality or our malice. Father, this morning, stir in us. Stir and awaken in us a dedication and intentionality, something that we want to be better followers of Jesus. We want you to be the totality of our lives. We want you to be our strength, our hope, our peace, and our desires. God, forgive us for the ways in which we have allowed other things to take those place. Forgive us for encouraging counterfeits in the lives of others. Forgive us, Father, for following something other than Jesus. And Father, as a church, help us to be dedicated to a dedicated discipleship that we might, because of the love of Jesus and the love for one another, invest in each other's lives sacrificially, intentionally, purposefully, that we might all grow in the presence of Jesus, that Christ would be formed in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. 
This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.